Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Okay, so if you are a child, sixth grade or under, so if you're younger than sixth grade, I'd like to invite you to come on up to the steps right now. So come on up, have a seat on the steps. Sixth grade and under, come on up, don't be afraid. Let's see. We know you're here. Come on down, even from the balcony, come on down. We'll wait for you. I see you up there. I see Zoe. Who else do I see? Call them, I know, come on down, come on down, yay, come on down, yay, okay, wonderful, yay, we're going to play a little game to start with called One of These Things is Not Like the Other, have you ever heard of that? I'm going to show you three pictures, come on down, there's Journey, yay, okay, have a seat, have a seat, wonderful. Hi, Dane. Yep, go ahead. Anybody else? Anybody else here? I think there may be still a few more. Yes, wonderful. Come on down. Yay. Here comes Zoe and Thea. Fabulous. Okay. And Dominic. Okay, have a seat, guys. So we're going to start with a game called One of These Things is Not Like the Other. I'm going to show you some pictures, and I'm going to need a helper for this. So somebody want to help me on this side? Let's see. Apollo, you want to help? So this is the first picture. I want you to show that to everybody on that side and somebody on this side. Josh, you want to show everybody on that side. So there are three pictures. Which one is not like the other? Let's start with it. So what are there pictures of? There's a picture of? A horse. A horse. What else? A dog. A dog. And what's the third thing? Do you see the picture? You guys look at the picture. A dolphin. So there's a dolphin and a dog and a horse. Which of those things is not like the other? The dolphin. Why do you think that? Okay, because it's gray. Interesting. Okay, what else? It's not a land animal. Okay, what else? Right, right. The other two have four, four legs. You're right. Okay, okay. So we're going to do that again. Good job, guys. Here's one more. Okay, somebody else on this side. Zoe, you want to hold that? Okay, for everybody on that side. Make sure everybody gets to see it. There's three different things there. Josh, you hold that one. Okay. What are the pictures there? What's the first thing? A hamburger. A hamburger. What's next? A hot dog. A hot dog. A hamburger or a hot dog. And what else? What's the third thing? Ice cream. Ice cream. Okay. Which of those things is not like the other? Ice cream over here. What do you guys think? Ice cream. Okay. Anything else? Why the ice cream is different? It's sweet. Okay. Journey. It can melt. Dessert and the other's the meal, right? Usually ice cream is a treat, right? We don't usually have ice cream for dinner, right? Okay. So one more. Good job, guys. One more. One more thing. Okay, who wants to hold the cards over here? Oops. Okay, oops. I'll take this one. Thank you. And on this side, okay, three different things. What's the first thing? 
Can you guys see the picture? Make sure everybody can see it. What's the first picture of? Who wants to say what it is? What's the first picture? A lady? A lady? Okay, what's the second picture? Somebody over here? You guys know this. What's the second picture? An old lady. An old lady, okay. There's another picture. What's the other one? An even older lady. An even older lady. Wow, okay. Okay, so what's... Which one of these do you think, or maybe there are two of them, which one do you think would be the mother? They're all three holding a baby, right? Both of them are mothers. All three of them are mothers? Which one do you think is the mother of the baby? All three of them, okay. Okay, okay. So, good job, guys. We're going to hear a story today about Abraham and Sarah. And so, as I always do, I always bring a prop with me. Would somebody want to hold the baby as we're telling the story? Okay. Let's see. We can take turns, okay? We can pass her down, okay? We can take turns. We can pass the baby down. This is a baby boy. His name is Isaac. Can you guys say Isaac? Isaac. The baby's name is Isaac. So our story today, we learn about a woman named Sarah. She wanted to have a baby all of her life. She wanted to be a mom so bad, but she didn't have a baby yet. And she was sad. That made her sad. How do you think, show me a sad face. How do you think she would feel? She was very sad. She didn't have a baby. She really wanted a baby. So it wasn't happening, but guess what? One day, God told her husband that Sarah would have a baby. When Sarah heard that, guess what she did? Guess what she did? You know the story? Jumped in joy, good guess. What do you think, Don? Yeah, so here's what she did. The Bible says this. LOL. She laughed out loud. Can you guys do that? Let me hear you laugh. Oh, okay. Okay. She laughed. She laughed out loud. She thought, you know what? I'm almost 100 years old. There's no way I'm going to have a baby. Do you think that it's possible for a 100-year-old grandma to have a baby? It is possible with God, right? Here's the story right here. Usually we don't hear that happening today though, right? So here's the scripture we're going to read. It's Genesis 8, 13, and 14. We ready to hear the scripture? So this says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. The very next year, guess what happened? Sarah had a baby just as God had promised because God keeps his promises. There's our baby. Can you guys say that? God keeps his promises. Let's say it together. God keeps his promises. He does. One more time. God keeps his promises. Good job, guys. Okay, will you join me in prayer? 
we close our eyes and bow our heads. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible. We thank you for Sarah and Abraham and for Isaac. We thank you for all the children who are here today. God, most of all, we thank you that you always keep your promises to us. In Jesus' name we pray. We all say, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Okay, as, as they're going back to their seats, how many of you found those faces and voices irresistible? <laughs> Raise your hands. Okay, now, we need 10 volunteers for children's ministry. Is there anything impossible for God? Here's the reason why I say that. Listen, these kids are the next generation of the church. Yeah, they are. And they need as much love and care, and, and they honestly need as much input from the body of Christ as we do on a Sunday morning. Amen? Emily, would you like to have 10 volunteers for children's ministry? Could you stand up for a second? Emily, I like putting you on the spot. Emily is our children's pastor upstairs. She, she, would, she would love to have more volunteers so she could come in and be a part of this worship experience more than once every quarter, right? So this, again, this sounds like a shameless plug, and yes, unabashedly it is. If I, you know one of the, I'll give you a little side note before I get my message. I've realized I love kids so much that in retirement, no joke, I think I'd like to be a preschool teacher. No kidding, because those kids bring so much light. When I'm at Pink Christian Academy, I get to greet the kids at the front door. I rarely get to see the preschool kids because they come in later. But sometimes when I'm in the hallway and I see those kids coming down the hallway and they see this gargantuan giant of a guy, you know, in multiple different ways, and I'm like, hey, guys, they don't go run. Well, some of them do, but they don't go running. They're like wide-eyed and excited. They want to soak in as much life experience as possible. And as we grow, we talked about this in my class this morning. As we grow older, we become jaded and cynical. And we're like, I don't want to deal with kids. I don't want to do this. I don't know when. I'm telling you, if you can become like one of these little ones, Jesus says that's the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. If you can work with kids, if you're willing to even give it a try for a couple months, and say, I'll try it on for size, and I have an escape route in case it doesn't work out. I promise you, you'll probably learn so much from these kids and be rejuvenated and energized, okay? So how do you do that? See Emily. Emily, stand up one more time. <laughs> Come on, stand up. They need to make sure, because they're like, I forgot what she looks like. Turn around and show them your face too. All right, um, Emily or Melissa, who you saw on stage, uh, they will get you connected and set up and going through the process to be a part of that ministry. If I could, I would be on rotation down there once a month. And that's no joke. I've tried to figure out a way I could actually do that. Maybe having Matt, you know, step in and preach and I can go down there. But uh, regardless, please consider that. All right? All right, you ready? To, you ready for the message? Yes. Have a nice day, y'all. We'll see you later. So it's like, no, man, you've got, you're going to be in here forever. All right. 
Abraham and Sarah's laughter. That's today's message. Sarah wasn't the only one who laughed. Abraham laughed. And I love how scholars like to manipulate the text. I have read so many commentaries over the past two weeks studying for this, for this message today. And it's of the complementarian view, which is that only men could be in leadership and women have to serve in the children's ministry. Uh, we are not the complementarian view. We believe that all people in the body of Christ, men, men or women, can hold positions of leadership and influence. And, but the ones that are more complementarian say, well, Abraham's laughter was laughter of joy, not of doubt. I'm not kidding. How could you read? We're going to read this in just a minute. Abraham's laughter, they, they give him a, a, like a get-out-of-jail-free card. And then when it comes to Sarah, boy, they are heavy-handed. We're going to look, and actually, I want you to be able to unpack this and notice the laughter is a laughter of doubt, not a laughter of joy from either one of them. Abraham, I don't know how you, you've got to do a lot of mental and in theological gymnastics to make Abraham, his laughter, a laughter of joy. All right? So really, the, I'm not going to get to the key point just yet, but what I want us to understand today is where we think things are impossible, nothing is impossible with God. This is why I loved having the kids up here, and it played well into what I'm going to talk about today. Dominic, he's probably back upstairs. You up there, buddy? Yeah, Dominic's back upstairs, and he's like, how many of you... Uh, is this talking about how, whose baby is this? And you're like, well, it could be anybody. He said, well... Right, because nothing is impossible with God, right? And that was kind of the whole point. As we grow older, we realize there are certain limitations within the bounds of reality in humanity, correct? But do we believe in a God that can supersede the bounds of reality in what we call supernatural expression of miracles and wonders and signs? Do we? couple of you do. So I still believe that. I believe God can fulfill his promises in only ways that God can fulfill his promises. And the story today, as we begin to unpack this, is God had promised Abraham and Sarah they would have a child, or they would become a father and a mother of a great nation of peoples. That the nation that would come through Abraham and Sarah would so outnumber the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the earth that their descendants would populate into this great people that would be the representatives of God, the high priests giving this message to the people that through Abraham and Sarah, they would bless the nations. And Abraham and Sarah are like, yes, this is awesome. But then time passes. It doesn't happen the next day. It doesn't happen in nine months. It doesn't happen in the next two years. Let me ask you a question. When somebody promises you they're going to do something, when do you expect them to do it? <laughs> All right, we can talk about the parenting thing, right? Mom, I promise I'm going to take out the trash. Dad, I promise I'm going to clean my bedroom. Whatever the case is, right? I expect you to do it now. God promised that Abraham and Sarah would be 
the mother and father of a whole nation of descendants. Ten years pass. Did you know that? You know how long I've been here? My wife and I, my kids. It'll be ten years in August. Some of you are like, oh, it feels like a millennia. It feels like a century. And some of you are like, you've been here already a decade? I'm telling you, a long time, right? If I came here and I promised you on day one that I was going to do X, Y, or Z, but didn't accomplish it for 10 years, how would you feel? Or didn't even start on it. Let's say, I promise that this is going to happen, but I waited until year 10 to even start on it. You'd get irritated with me, wouldn't you? Now, put that in perspective. God promises Abraham and Sarah, 10 years lapse. Let's get into their story. Genesis chapter 17, and yes, this is a rather lengthy passage, but I'm going to try to unpack it as best I can. Genesis 17. Promise has already been given. We'll talk about Abraham and Hagar, Sarah's servant girl, in just a moment. That's already happened. Abraham and Sarah are still childless. But they have a visitor. Actually, they have three visitors that wander into town. And uh, they, they stay overnight because Abraham beckons them. Why don't you stay overnight? We'll fix you a meal, blah, 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 blah. These messengers are on their way to a couple cities that are very famous in the Old Testament. You want to guess which ones they were? Sodom and Gomorrah. Sorry, I had to say that with a guttural because they get destroyed eventually and it's really bad, okay? That's next week's message, just in case you're curious. All right. Sodom and Gomorrah, these messengers are on their way. We come to find out in the story, in this narrative, that these messengers are angels. And one of them is the angel of the Lord, the very presence of God himself. And listen to what he says. Then God said to Abraham, regarding your Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, is actually how it's pronounced, will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. Do you know the name Sarah means princess? Where's Sarah Myers? Where are you, girl? She's serving down in the children's ministry. Praise the Lord. All right, sorry, shameless plug again. Our youth are even serving there. It's awesome. All right, um, Sarah means princess. Sarai is also princess, but it's, it's just a different variation of that name. But Sarah, or Sarai, gets a change of name, a purposeful change of name, a personal change of name. When God does something significant with people in the Old Testament, oftentimes their names are changed. He goes on to say, from now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her, and I'll give, uh, give you a son from her, exclamation point. Wait, Hagar, and Sarah, Hagar has been given to Abraham by Sarah in Genesis 16, just a chapter before. Ten years earlier, Hagar and Abraham slept together. She bore him a son. We call him Ishmael. Ishmael's 10 years old at this time. But God comes to Abraham and says, all right, it's time to fulfill that promise I made to you. You and Sarah are going to bear a son. I will richly bless her. 
and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. And then here's the fun part, where Abraham gets off scot-free from some scholars, and you tell me how you would read this. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, okay, and he left in disbelief. So it's like this. All right, I'm in, I'm in front of God. I don't know if the camera's around me. I'm in front of God, and I'm reverent before God, because God has called me out of the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, into the land that he would show me, that would become the, the land of my descendants. And now God has finally come back after he's promised me the descendants, and after I've already made a mess of things by having a son through another woman by my wife's blessing, and it's all messed up and really weird. That never happens in everyday life for us. But in those days it did, and now God is telling Abraham this, and he bows before God. And keep this in, I mean, he's prostrate, right? Prost, I always get those two, prostate and prostrate. He's, he has a prostate, but he is prostrate before the Lord. And he bows down and he goes, <laughs> yeah, right. That's kind of what we picture in this narrative here. But see, there are scholars that actually claim that he goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus hadn't come on the scene. Thank you, Lord, I'm going to have a son. Actually, no. And if you read it in multiple versions, you'll find out it's a laughter of disbelief. It's not a laughter of joy. It's kind of like... Have you ever laughed in disbelief before? Somebody tells you something that seems unbelievable and you go... <laughs> kind of like that. You spit everywhere. I spit everywhere anyway. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I losing you? Okay, just making sure you're still with me. So he bows down, and it's almost like he's trying to disguise his disbelief. You think you can disguise anything from God? Oh, the irony of fig leaves and bushes, right? From Adam and Eve's story. How could I become... Now, this is... The question, how can I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. Does that sound like the laughter of joy? A couple of you think it doesn't, right? No! How can I become, how can you twist that to say, thank you, Lord, you're coming through on your promise. <laughs> And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham finally, after thinking this stuff to himself, laughing in disbelief, while on his face before God, says, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Because at this point, Abraham realizes, oh, shoot. I have a son. He's my firstborn son. And according to cultural traditions... He gets the lion's share of the blessing. What am I going to do? So now God's fulfilling his promise through Sarah and myself. But we took matters into our own hands. And I have a son from another woman, a surrogate. And so now he's trying to bargain with God. Um, so about that, God, I appreciate you will, being willing to let Sarah and I have a kid. Do you hear what he's saying? It's like, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Can we do Ishmael instead? 
Can you imagine? We do this with God, though, don't we? We bargain with God. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. I'm going to continue to follow through on what I said I was going to do, regardless of what you've done in the meantime. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. Do you know what the name Isaac means? Laughter. This is awesome. It's like God's like, yeah, I saw you laughing. laughing, And, and as just kind of a little bit of salt in the wounds, you're going to name him Laughter. <laughs> well, we'll see how this turns. I know what you've done. And yes, I know you're laughing at disbelief. And yes, I know you have your plans made out on what you think, this should, how this should go for you. But I want you to name him Isaac. Because I want you to remember when you laughed in disbelief. Every time you look into his eyes. And you doubted that my promise would ever come true for you. As for Ishmael. Now God isn't saying. This is the grace and the goodness of God. The patience and long suffering of God. To deal with our stupidity. And things we think, we think we're doing God favors when we do things to manufacture what we think he wants us to do when sometimes he says, wait, let me do it, and you follow my lead. But God steps in when he didn't need to, and in verse 20, listen to what he says. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also. Just as you've asked, I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, because that was my promise to you. I chose you, Abraham, and I chose Sarah. I will bless him with the covenant blessing. And he will be born this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those that were born there and those that he had bought. Yes, he was a slave owner. It's a different subject for a different time. Please don't go off into some tangent and leave me there. Okay, stay with me. All right. Then he circumcised them and cut off their foreskins just as God had told him. I've had to teach this in seventh and eighth grade Bible class before. What is that? Cutting off of the foreskin? Talk to your moms and dads about that. If you're an adult and you still don't know, I would say Google it, but please don't. <laughs> you will run into some bad stuff if you Google that, that word, I'm sure. So don't do it. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. How many of you are 99 or past it? You wish. All right. A couple of you upstairs too. Huh? 99 years old when he was circumcised. <laughs> that had to be a sight. I mean, we do this to infants usually when they're in the hospital and they will have no memory of it at all. Imagine being 99. You'll remember. All right. Sorry, it was 
complete tangent. He also circumcised Ishmael, his son, when he was 13. Both Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on the same day, along with all the other men and boys of the household, whether they were born or bought as servants. All were circumcised with him. Now, go to verse chapter 18. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak uh, grove belonging to Mamre. I like that. Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed again these three men coming along nearby, and he saw them. He ran to meet them, welcomed them, bowing down low to the ground. He says, my Lord, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some, uh, some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. And they said, okay, do as you've said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said, Sarah, hurry, get these, uh, get <laughs> do you catch, did you catch the subtlety there? I'll go prepare a meal for you. Sarah, get the griddle out. I'm sorry, I just think it's funny. You, if, you, if, you're glossing, if, you're re if you're reading your Bible just to get it done, you're going to miss stuff like this. You're like, oh my gosh, this is really heaven. This is real life, right? You don't make this stuff up. He says, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. And then Abraham ran out to the herd, and he chose a tender calf, we call this veal, and gave it to his servant to quickly prepare it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk, and then he roasted the meat and served it to the men. And as they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. And then they ask, where's Sarah, your wife? <laughs> uh, so it really wasn't me that went to, to make the food. She's, she's back in the tent. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. And then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now, tent material is thin. It doesn't have soundproofing, and it's like talking through a piece of paper. You can hear on the other side. So Sarah is hearing the conversation of these three men and Abraham, and Abraham and Sarah were both very old at this time, we're told. And Sarah was long past the age of having children. That means she had completed what we call menopause, right? That's what that means. And so she laughed silently to herself. <laughs> like that. I'm going to get, I, I don't know. I'm trying to picture a silent laugh, you know. It's probably not like a little munchkin. But it's something, to, you know, kind of where you're laughing under your breath like, I don't know. But she's laughing silently to herself, and she's thinking, how can a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is so old. <laughs> so she's I'm about, but my master, my husband, he's an old man. His parts don't work anymore. How can this happen? And I'm beyond the child-bearing years. I'm sorry, you... You could get offended by that, but that's what's going on here. If we try to soften the scripture to make it sound more palatable, oftentimes we miss a whole lot of truth. Listen, 
Then the Lord said to Abraham, now this is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Whenever you see that in scripture, that is the name that God gave to Moses later on in the story. And what does it mean? I am that I am. Or we transcribe it as Yahweh. Okay? So now, God of all of the universe says to Abraham, the angel of the Lord there, why did Sarah laugh? Now, he didn't call Abraham out, and this is where I think a lot of scholars are saying, well, because he didn't call Abraham out, it wasn't a bad laughter. No, I think it was kind of a, hey, you can call him Isaac when he's born. It was kind of an underhanded kind of, yeah, I know what you did there. And now he's calling Sarah out. Why did Sarah laugh? What did she say? Can an old woman, why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything impossible or too hard for the Lord, for God? He says, I'll return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Well, Sarah was afraid, it says. This is so funny. I think this is cool. She denied it saying, oh, I didn't laugh. You ever done that? No, 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 I, no, you're mistaken. I, I did, but you did. And that's what God says, but the Lord said, no, you did laugh. <laughs> Just, no, I, I know what you did. I'm everywhere present. <laughs> you can't hide this from me. Here's the deal. God's willingness to endure our disbelief proves his patience toward us. Have you ever doubted God? Have you ever doubted the promises of Scripture that God gives? Have you ever doubted the stories in Scripture as being some fictional story to embellish a bigger point when the reality is they are God supernaturally stepping into time and intervening for his people? God's willingness to endure our disbelief proves his patience toward us. Here's the first. There's only two points really quickly. First point is this. Doubt leads to the laughter of unbelief. And again, I say this all the time because it's true. And I have done this multiple times. When somebody tells me something unbelievable, I tend to laugh in disbelief. I tend to go, <laughs> yeah, right. It's our normal human response in a broken, fallen world where the only thing we see is through the lens of fallen, broken sinfulness. I said this in our class this morning, and I said it just a moment ago, where Jesus is listening to his disciples bicker about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and then he pulls a child from the crowd in that community to himself, and he says, hey guys, wake up. If any of you wants to enter the kingdom of heaven... You've got to become like one of these little ones. Kids believe virtually everything you tell them, at least at a certain age. And we talked about this in my class this morning. It isn't until they grow into teenagers and then into young adults that they start to become tainted and jaded by the sinful, broken, and fallen world. And then it's harder they become hardened by this world. A part of becoming a believer in Christ is starting to shed that old self, right? It's getting rid of that old self and becoming a child of God. It's about, being, it's about trusting and believing God. 
for all that he says and all that he's done and all that he will do and the promises that he made in the past and the ones he continues to make today which are true and can be trusted. Doubting God's promises leads to rash decision-making when we should wait. Doubt in God's promises leads to rash decision-making when we should wait. Let me read this, chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord, Yahweh, has prevented me from having children. Do you see what she said? God had promised that there would be descendants through Abraham and Sarah, and now some 10 years later after that promise, what does Sarah say? The Lord's prevented me from having kids. She probably finished menopause in there somewhere, I'm guessing, which is why she's making this bold statement. It is beyond possibility now. I can't. And so what does she say to Abraham? Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed. Well, you betcha. What? A free license to go sleep with another woman? Guys, now it sounds really crass and crude, but the reality is his wife is saying, go do this with my, with my servant. And he didn't push back? Come on. Where was his mind? Where was he going with all of this? Now we can say it's innocent, but they're manipulating the situation to bring about what they want to see happen because it's not happening in the time they think it should. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abraham had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. All right, so that's not good either. It's like what we see later on in the story with Jacob and Rachel and Leah and their two servant girls. It's like a bad soap opera, but it's real life. And so the mistress gets pregnant. Sarah's been unable to have kids. And Hagar, I'm getting this picture, is probably like, yeah, I'm kind of better than you. And she starts to mistreat her. Maybe passive aggressively, we don't really know. It's just a mistreatment. And then Sarah said to Abraham, this is your fault. <laughs> Can you, but you told me to sleep with her. You gave her as a, this is your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. When we do things out of the norm of what God expects us to do in waiting faithfully on him to come and provide, it breaks down healthy relationships. When we do not wait upon the Lord, our strength is not renewed. Instead, we become weaker, and in that weakness, we do things we shouldn't do. The same is true no matter what time period you're talking about. 
Abraham and Sarah concoct this plan. It happens. And it's not all it's cracked up to be. Have you ever done that? You think, well, maybe this is the way it's supposed to be. Maybe God is, you know, wants me to do this. Maybe I should walk through this door instead of that door, instead of waiting until there's a clear, I know this is what God wants me to do moment. So I'm going to, all right, we'll just open the door a little bit. Oh, all right, we'll step through it. And then you realize, ooh, that, that's not what I was expecting. That's not how I thought this would play out. And then you find yourself in a heap of hurt. All because you didn't wait and listen and obey what God had desired. Theological scholar Walter Brueggemann says this, faith is not easy. It calls for a persistence which is against common sense. It calls for believing in a gift from God which none of the present data can substantiate. In addition, Lee Haynes, another scholar, explains that the lesson is clear that it is never wise to try to speed up the process of divine providence because God's timetable is perfect. For us to tamper with it only leads to tragedy. Unbelief, F.B. Myers says, puts our circumstance between us and God but faith puts God between us and our circumstances. Abraham and Sarah had lost faith because time had passed since God said he was going to do something. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to learn the fine art of waiting, but we also need to learn the fine art of moving when God says move. And you cannot know the voice of God unless you're intimately... It's why no is, our, one of, is the first step in our discipleship process. You have to know Christ intimately. It begins with you surrendering your life to Christ in salvation. But knowing Christ intimately, and I've said this before, is this yada experience. It's that Hebrew word called yada, which means to know. It's in the biblical sense of knowing that intimacy where the two become one. Do you understand this? But I hear a lot of people tell me, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I don't know what his voice sounds like. You've got to find a way, and the way is Christ. Before Christians were known as Christians, they were known as people of the way. And even Philip and Thomas and the disciples in John chapter 14, sitting in that room, getting ready or celebrating the, the, the Passover meal before Jesus is arrested, Jesus is giving them final instructions. He's telling them, I'm not going to be with you any longer, but I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But don't worry, I'll come back. Thomas says, well, where are you going? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, nobody could come to the Father except through me. And then Philip's, Philip follows up that response by saying, okay, well, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Do you see doubt? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like simple little innocuous questions they're asking, but Jesus says, Philip, have I not been with you this long and still you don't know me? I am in the Father, the Father is in me. We're, we're one. 
I mean, I've been with you for three years. Are you sure you still don't know who I am? But see, we get caught up in the Philip moments and the Thomas moments when we have had the answers right here. The problem is we don't study the word to show ourselves approved and we don't pray. I don't know of any marriage that would last any length of time, and it's kind of the case these days, if you didn't communicate with each other. And I don't mean just saying hi as you're passing, going to work, and going before you go to bed. I mean actually communicating, getting to K-N-O-W, yada, each other. And I'm not just talking in the sexual sense. To where you can repeat each other's sentences, to where you're so intimately entwined that the two of you truly have become one. See, this is the kind of knowledge and understanding and relationship God desires for us, and it can only happen through Christ Jesus. And you want to know the way to go? Look at what the Gospels tell us about Christ. Follow his way. Follow in his footsteps. Read the word, or at bare minimum, listen to it as you travel back and forth to work. And pray and pray until, you're, until your knees are so calloused that it doesn't hurt to get on your knees anymore. Our points were out of sequence. Doubt leads to the laughter of unbelief. Walter Brueggemann, let me give this and we'll, we'll close up. Walter Brueggemann explains that Abraham and Sarah are not offered here as models of faith, but as models of disbelief. For them, the powerful promise of God outdistances their ability to receive it. Once again, this story shows what a scandal and difficulty faith is. This is why churches are bleeding members. It's because, it's because what you hear from most pulpits across this nation is self-help, psychological well-being stuff. Faith is hard. It's not easy. And it takes leaning in to God when everything else is failing you. And you question, God, are you still there? It takes giving yourself completely to that which you cannot see, but trusting that he is there knowing that he is not going anywhere but with you. The promise of the gospel is not a conventional piece of wisdom that is easily accommodated to everything else. Embrace of this radical gospel of Christ requires shattering and discontinuity. Abraham and Sarah have by this time become accustomed to their barrenness. Are you accustomed to your barrenness? And have you forgotten the promise of God in your life? They are resigned to their closed future. They've resolved to the fact that God must not going to be coming through for us. They have accepted that hopelessness is normal. Whew. Let me stop there for a second. 
They have accepted that hopelessness is normal. Is that where you are? Have you accepted, because you've been hit, you've been knocked, you've lost so much, how much more can I lose, God? And you finally throw your hands up in complete doubt and disbelief, and you, you resign yourself to this place of hopelessness. If Jesus didn't do that, even while he was hanging on the cross, why would we? If Jesus, even with his last breaths, was able to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If he was able to say, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then the next breath, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That was a man who had not lost all hope, even to the last breath he breathed. And that's the hope that raised him from the grave. And that's the hope when everything seems impossible that God is able to make possible. As our worship team comes forward, I don't know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what struggles that many of you have seen. I feel like Death is all around us. We're attending funerals on a regular basis, and it does give us a reason to say, what's going on in the world right now? Where, God, where are you? We're on the brink of another world war, seems like the media is telling us. Or it seems like we're losing everything. There's nothing left in the world to hope in anymore. But there is. When it seems darkest is when God does his best work. When all hope seems gone is when God says, now it's my time. When barrenness has stricken Sarah's old, decrepit body, and Abraham is bent over with time and age and years of struggle, is when God says, now is the time. Because who gets the glory when it's impossible? Not Abraham or Sarah. This is why Abraham's bargaining with God. Well, take, take, take Ishmael. No, I'm taking you. And just to show you what kind of God I am, I want you to name him Isaac. Because I want you to remember every time you say his name when you doubted me. There is hope. There's hope for deliverance from your circumstances if they're bad. There's hope to go through this deep, dark valley of the shadow of death and truly fear no evil because he is with you. There's hope. But you could take the path of least resistance. It's that wide path that we're told about in Matthew chapter 7 and the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says a lot of people take. Or you could take the narrow path. It's hard, it's rugged, it's narrow, it's difficult. But it leads to everlasting life. Because at the end of that road, 
It's heaven. It's salvation. These altars are open as they always are. I'm not going to beg you today. If you want prayer, come to my right, your left. If you want to pray alone, come to my left. But if you truly are legitimately struggling, don't leave this place without getting right with God. If you're doubting that God's ever going to come through, give him more time because his timing is perfect. But begin to know him more intimately in the meantime by getting into the word, by praying on your knees daily and not just over a meal. Heavenly Father, in this place, as we do every week, we pray that you are glorified, honored, and praised and that, Lord, you come down in a way that is tangible, that is a manifestation of your holy presence. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come into this place like a mighty rushing wind. Fill this environment with a fresh wind of your holy presence, God. Lord, birth within our hearts even just a spark of your divine grace to birth this hope within us, to rise up again, to overcome our doubt, our difficulties, and our struggles. Remind us, God, that we are not forgotten. Remind us, God, that we are not alone, but that you are with us. And God, Help us to surrender to the authority of your grace. Submit ourselves in complete surrender to you as we repent of our sin and give our lives to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.